The Joan Lee Show on 98FM. Beer goggles, something that has become quite the phenomenon and is defined in the Urban Dictionary as when one's alcohol consumption makes physically unattractive people appear beautiful and summoned up by the phrase... There are no ugly women at closing time. How romantic. Well, over the past few days, there have been reports that there is no such thing as beer goggles. So I thought I would go directly to the apparent source. Dr. Amanda Ellison, who's senior lecturer in the Department of Psychology at Durham University and author of Getting Your Head Around the Brain, is joining me now on the line. Uh, Amanda Ellison, you're very welcome to the show. How are you doing? Thank you. I'm doing grand, Joan. How are you? I'm great stuff. Now, your book, Getting Your Head Around the Brain, mm-hmm. um, it's very accessible, of course. I mean, you are, first of all, uh, I have to say, you're the senior lecturer in the Department of Psychology at Durham University. It's very, very, uh, very posh title. And <laughs> the author of Getting Your Head Around the Brain, it is about kind of normal phenomenon that we don't understand, but that do exist. So such things like you reckon man flu actually does exist. Well, man flu, this is a funny one, isn't this? We, we do believe that men feel flu worse than us. And we know this because they tell us that it does. Oh, they sure do, yeah. Time. And one of the things about the differences between male and female brains is that there are different different structures. And, and, and Well, they're all the same structures, but they're actually different sizes. Okay. One of the bits that's a different size in the male brain as opposed to the female brain is called the preoptic nucleus. And it's an area of the brain that's involved in lots of different things. It's involved in temperature regulation. Uh, it's involved in, in putting us to sleep. And it's also involved in uh, sexual behavior. As ah. um, but actually, the, the bit that's important for this story is that it's, it's involved in temperature regulation. And something that I said in the book, and I just threw it out there, was that maybe the fact that men feel flu worse than women is because they have this bigger area of their brain that's involved in temperature regulation. And of course, one of the things that happens when you go down with the flu or a cold, as us women call it, um, is your temperature <laughs> increases. Yeah, yeah. And um, you, 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 it does that because the bugs don't like that. So the temperature of your body increases and the preoptic nucleus mediates this so that the bugs will actually die of their own natural causes because there's a higher temperature in which they have to live. Now, um, that's great and marvellous, but men have this bigger area. And so I said, rather facetiously, that maybe this underlies man flu. Equally, however, John, it could be that because men have this bigger area, maybe they should actually deal with it better. Ah, yes, yes, yes. So it's this a... is the debate, and we don't know, and people haven't done any research specifically into this. It's all just just an idea based on what we know about the differences between male and female brains. There's uh, something that I was very interested in as well in Amanda, and that is, I heard, um, oh God, he's a famous, famous Irish writer, and his name is gone. It's gone out of my brain. <laughs> memory but then. Memory's gone. But he <laughs> said, um, he said, you know the way you walk into maybe a house that you haven't been in for years and years and you remember it differently. So you think, okay, I thought the door was on the left-hand side, but it's actually on the right-hand side. And I thought the kitchen was there, but it's there. Uh, He said that they've discovered, now I don't know if you know this or if it's true or if I'm I'm mixing it up, but we, we remember things like pictures. We don't actually physically remember things the way they are. It is, uh, memories, 
very difficult one because memory is actually very, very, very fallible. And we remember things in different ways. So, so you're right, we can remember things pictorially. We remember odours. So you remember the smell of your granny's house, maybe? Yes, yes. That kind of thing. Yeah. So we remember odours. And the reason why we remember odours much more than anything else is actually because that's directly linked to the emotional areas of the brain. And so we remember that more. Um with respect to, to pictures, yeah, we have a visual representation, but then even within that, we, we code things differently. So when we, when we look around the world, we actually store it in our memories differently. And we might store it with respect to where things are um, in relation to us or where things are in relation to each other. Ah. And these things can sometimes be completely separate and we can mix them up. And then the other thing about memory is that actually it's, it's quite... Um, Oh, what's the word? Uh, non-robust. So it's it's quite it's quite fallible with respect to the questions that you ask of it. So if, say, for example, you you see an accident, yeah. and uh, maybe the policeman comes along and he says, "Well, um, how fast do you think the car was going when it bumped into the into the wall?" And you go, "Well, yeah, I don't know, twenty miles an hour." Or maybe the guard comes along and he says, "Well, you know, how how fast do you think the car was going when it smashed into the wall?" And you're more likely to say, oh, 40 miles an hour guard. Okay, okay. So, so, so it's, it's very susceptible to lots and lots of different things. Wow. Now, uh, also something interesting, God, that, that is interesting, it's something um, that has been talked about a lot in the last couple of weeks is the fact that beer goggles and you have made the discovery that they don't actually exist. Now, there's going to be an awful lot of very upset people, <laughs> but they yeah. don't exist, do they? Well, they do, actually. They do exist. But the thing that doesn't happen is that beer goggles don't change our perception of what somebody looks like. <laughs> There's the thing, right? So what beer or any kind of alcohol actually does is it has a sedative effect, a selective sedative effect on certain areas of your brain. And the area of your brain that it has the most sedative effect on is your frontal lobe. And in your frontal lobe, that's where you do rationalization, that's where you do decisions, that's where you decide what the consequences of your actions are going to be. So that's a little bit quiet. Whereas the areas in your brain that are involved in sexual desire, for example, okay. they're still intact. <laughs> so you've got these urges, right? And your frontal lobe isn't there to tell you, no, no. This you isn't going to work out. You touch that with the 10-foot barge pole. <laughs> Don't do it now. And so, so it actually alters your decisions. It's the same principle on which you think when you've had a few that it's a good idea to dance on a plastic chair on top of a table. Okay. Or maybe to have that kebab on the way home. <laughs> great idea but no it's just actually because your your frontal lobe, lobe is isn't kind of, working properly it's kind of dull down you think what the hell I know the regret yeah. in the morning but sure it doesn't really matter it we'll all be really grand matter. it's going to be fine you know and then there's other areas of your brain that actually the first place that alcohol affects is an area called your cerebellum and it's at the back of your brain and just underneath the main part and it's an area that's really involved in your balance and your coordination so you know when you get up to go to the loo and you're in the pub and you think Oh, actually, I'm, I'm, I'm pointing in the wrong direction. Yeah. And that's your cerebellum. And that's actually the first area to get affected, which is why in the field sobriety test that the guards do when they stop you and they get you to do that test where you, you, you point your finger at, at the tip of your nose. Yes, yes, yes. So that is, that yeah, is the first one that goes. Cerebellum, and it's the first place to get affected. So that's, it's obvious that you're impaired then. Now, talking about balance and stuff like that, you know the way I would have an awful habit. If I come out of a shop, uh, mm-hmm. just say we're on Henry Street and I walk out mm-hmm. of... 
uh, Arnott's or something like that, I will always go in the wrong direction. So I'll always uh, take, just say, a right turn if I want to take a left turn or yeah. a left turn. If I, what, what's that about? Well, actually, I suffer from that as well. <laughs> and it's, it's something that actually that I work on personally. And it's, it's, it's about your directional navigation. Now, some people would say that actually this is a male-female difference. Ah, I yes. don't particularly subscribe to that, but there is some good evidence for that. And actually, the other thing, Joan, is that it's a menstrual issue. Ah. So there are some days of the month where our hormones affect the activity in our brain, uh, and it means that actually both sides of the brain are working as opposed to just once. It's a lack of dominance there of one side over the, over the other, and your brain just can't decide which way to go. So it's hormonal so completely? It, not completely, but, but some of it can be explained by that. And, and it explains why, you know, certain days of the month you just can't park the car. Or your ba- or your basket case. Yeah, but yeah, but I say I say to all the boys I know, don't get carried away because this is really, really just one day a month, okay? It doesn't generalise to anything else. But but yeah, I mean it's there's lots of different ways of, of trying to remember where you are in space and, and how to pull that information out of, of the memory of, of where you are and and actually looking around you and say, Right, I know where I am. Now how do I get from A to B? And there's lots of different ways that you can do that. Naturally, people who have damage to their brains have yeah. real trouble doing this, real trouble. And it's not something that's, that's particularly treatable because, you know, these are people who've recovered from strokes. They've, they've maybe, you know, they've, they've recovered their speech function. They've, they've recovered their motor function. Yeah. But they've, they're left with these vi- visual deficits that, that they can't deal with. And, and they're afraid to go out because they get lost or because maybe they can't see very well or attend very well to one side of their space. So, you know, they don't see that big bus coming and they get hit by it. So they lose the nerve. And so something that we're trying to do is actually to, to retrain these people to try to use different parts of the brain, the parts of the brain that are spared from the damage, wow. to try to engage other ways of doing the same task. It's, it's very complex, isn't it, Amanda? Like, I mean, I know... It can be. Uh, talking about your books, I said, getting your head around the brain, um, wondering, and I know this is in the book if you've ever wondered how it's possible to walk down a street while you're thinking about um, where you're going for lunch and Mm. what's making your legs move and that you're not bumping into objects it's complex isn't it? It is complex I mean you can break it down you can break it down into like everyday behaviours but actually the thing about our brain is that we do it all simultaneously which is fantastic you know there's no other organ in our body that actually works quite so hard Everybody thinks that the centre of our being is the heart, but it's not, it's our brain. Um, so anytime you see these anatomically incorrect hearts on Valentine's Day, it drives me nuts. <laughs> I, I want lovely pictures of the limbic system and all those emotional structures of the brain. That's what I want. I don't think know, Hallmark, are, Hallmark aren't going to pick on, uh, up on that soon, Amanda. I really, I really don't think so, you know. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm in the wrong job, you know. So <laughs> I should you can, really be in card design. You, you can make a fortune. What, yeah. what about things like... Um, and I don't know if this is true, but anecdotally it is. Mm-hmm. Women can find, just say, a set of car keys or always know where the car keys are, where yep. if uh, a man is looking for something, they could open a cupboard and it could be right in front of them, but they can't see it. Do we visually see things differently or do we organise in our brains differently? Well, there's an element of, of, of where women actually are, are better at communication than men. So sometimes we verbalise things to ourselves more. So men might remember pictorially where they left something whereas women might remember in words well I left it 
you know, on the bedside table or whatever it might be. Yeah. And then it doesn't matter where they are, they'll be able to remember where that is because it's a different kind of cue. And, and that, that's an evolutionary issue because men always, back when we were cavemen and women, used to go off out on, on the hunt and gather um, and, and used to have to roam large spatial areas, whereas women usually were, were left behind to do everything else. And they were having a natter while they were doing it. So their, their communication and verbal <laughs> skills are better gotcha. than the men's. So there's, there's lots and lots of reasons why that may be. But again, there's nothing absolute. I, I am known for the Amanda look. So I will look for something and not find it. And then somebody <laughs> will come along and just put their hand on it and say, Same. Amanda look, yeah. <laughs> um, tell me uh, behaviour now I know behaviour I, I, I don't know and I, I mean you would know this um, because you are a psychologist as well as everything else but uh, behaviour part of it I suppose is, is learnt behaviour but mm-hmm. for people who have just say rotten tempers or who fly mm-hmm. off the handle or for people mm-hmm. who are very meek um, mm-hmm. can behaviour can it be changed or are we pre-programmed do you think well, there's a certain genetic link to that, but there's also a learned component to it. So if, if we have been surrounded by violence or violent behavior, violent language, for example, all of our lives, then we will actually have that kind of behavior. There's some, some very old data on this um, where uh, they have videos of, of people. It's, it's a guy called Harlow Rannis, and, uh, and you have um, children looking in uh, a window at an adult playing with a blow-up doll. And the blow-up doll is either being treated very nice by the adult, very nicely, or um, badly, and is being beaten up by the adult. And when the child is then introduced to the doll, the child will then copy what the parent did. Wow. Yeah, I mean, really, and, and now there's, there's been some recent work looking at the impact of video games on kids' behaviours and things like that. And, you know, it's a different world now for kids because, you know, they all have it, it, the consequences of their world. They're, they're much bigger now because, like, you know, you or I might have played with, I don't know, what would we have played with? Like maybe a skateboard or something, you know, yeah. that's the worst thing that we could have lost. And, and it would have been much more outside as well, so it was yeah, much more exactly, uh, exactly, nature-y. Yeah. Whereas it, kids have, like, iPhones now. Yeah. Too, 200 euros something like that you know and and the consequence of them losing that but to get back to your to your original question you know that the the risk that kids have around them now with social media and things like that we're only now doing the studies to assess how that affects how they assess risk as teenagers and how that will then affect their later lives things that we were never exposed to as kids but, but now they are. So, so there is definitely a learned component to behaviour like that. In your brain, it's your frontal lobe. Your frontal lobe actually steps on your limbic system. So, so it's an area called your amygdala. Okay. The reason why it's called the amygdala is because it, it looks like an almond, and that's, that's almond in, in Latin. And uh, it's actually, it would actually have us being very negative. So if it wasn't for our frontal lobe saying, no, you can't say that, you can't do that, it has very inhibitory effect on our behaviour, we'd be going around cursing and screaming at each other all the time. But the more developed your frontal lobe is, then the, the less you do that. But, but again, you can teach your frontal lobe to do different things and you can reset your bar. Adolescents, for example, you know, they, their frontal lobes aren't fully developed until they're 23. Really? Oh, yeah. So, so actually, 
you know, when you look back and you think, God, you know, why did I do that? What, <laughs> and what then you go, ah, think yes. That was a good idea. Yeah, I know. And you say, well, actually, my frontal lobe wasn't very well developed at that point. That explains everything. God, that's wild. I never knew that, Amanda. That's mm, 23 mm. is when, it, when it's completely developed. 23, well. yeah, generally. Yeah, uh, we, should, we shouldn't be allowed out till we're at least 30. But listen, uh, your book, it is, it is out at the moment. It is out at the moment, yes. And it's called Getting Your Head Around the Brain. It sounds, I would imagine that and uh, hundreds of other fascinating facts uh, are in it as well, Amanda. And it's, mm-hmm. I mean, it's very accessible. It's, it's extremely... Oh, yeah, it is. Absolutely. It, it is just trying to get people to engage with why their brain actually rules all of their behaviours. And it's very, very accessible. It's, it, it really is just to, to try to get people to, to talk about their brains and to think about their behaviours with respect to their brains because it's fascinating. Absolutely. All right. For now, Dr. Amanda Ellison, listen, lovely talking to you. You too, Joan. The Joan Lee Show on 98FM.